Good morning. It's Tuesday, May the 19th. In our Old Testament reading, we're in 2 Kings, chapters 23 through 25, which is the end of the book. So we're finishing up 2 Kings today, and we see eventually in chapter 25 the fall of the southern kingdom. Uh, let's start in chapter 23. They'll give you a heads up. We're going to be dealing with Josiah's reforms. We ended yesterday with a good scene of the discovery of the scrolls and the reading of the word. And now Josiah is going to continue a bunch of reforms in Judah, which are going to be great. The Passover is going to be observed. All the altars to the foreign gods are torn down. The problem is, as he has all this blessing and reform going on in Judah, uh, much like we've seen with other kings, he becomes a bit prideful here at the end of his life. He ends up picking a fight with Pharaoh, which uh, led to his downfall. Uh, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, uh, they reign one after another, short reigns. Then Nebuchadnezzar comes in chapter 24. He takes the city of Jerusalem. Zedekiah, the last king of Israel, a sad scene. We'll read more about him in Second in Chronicles. But the idea here of the end of this southern kingdom, 20 kings here that... Uh, We've had some ups, we've had some downs, but it ends in a terrible scene. Three deportations of the people. Uh, some are left, obviously, the poor in the land, but Jerusalem's completely destroyed. Judah is broken. Uh, Gedaliah is now um, appointed as the governor, so he's not a king. We're done with the kings in Israel until Christ the king comes. But the deportations, many of them are taken, as you know, to Babylon. We've got uh, Ezekiel during the Babylonian captivity as one of the uh, exiles. He's ministering among the people in Judah and uh, certainly no longer has an intact nation. And, of course, uh, Daniel is taken off to Babylon and rules or... Uh, ends up ruling, but serves initially in Nebuchadnezzar's court. So all of that is the end of the southern kingdom. So many of the prophets of the Old Testament, the written prophets, uh, fall into the category here of the nearing of the end of the uh, Judean kingdom. kingdom. So uh, that's good historical background for all the books that we end up reading later in the year. John 7 is our passage today. We're reading of the Feast of Booths, also called the Feast of Tabernacles. So uh, you might have heard that, or Sukkot, the uh, celebration of the remembrance of God's deliverance of the people through uh, the wilderness wanderings in John 7. We're going to read uh, through verse 31. We'll see Christ uh, privately attends. Remember, they were trying to force to make him king. And in verse 19, uh, a great statement, which is more than an indictment of the Pharisees, but a reminder that no one keeps the law. He says, you don't keep the law. I have the law of Moses, but you don't keep it. Uh, none of us can keep it. Even in the Old Testament, the psalmist said, there's no way that we can keep the totality of the law. It's by God's grace and His mercy that we find forgiveness and acceptance with God. And now we know in the New Testament the means by which that happens, the death of Christ. And then that interesting statement for many people in chapter uh, 7 verse 24, when Jesus says, don't judge by mere appearances, some people think, well, we're not to judge at all. Then he says, judge with right judgment. And so we need to be very careful about the decisions and discernment and the judgments that we make. We need to not just judge on a surface appearance level on any matter. We need to investigate. We need to make sure that we know what we're saying and what we're doing. When we make decisions, we need to judge with a right kind of righteous judgment. Our community imperative today is again found in Philippians chapter 2, and it's found in verses 29 and 30 today, our community command. Here, I'll read it for you. Uh, Philippians 2, 29, it says, So receive him in the Lord 
with joy and honor such men, for he nearly died, Epaphroditus we're talking about here, for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So here was this messenger, of course, and he is someone who has risked for the Apostle Paul, and here he's now commanding that they honor people like him. They're going to send him back, receive him. He's the messenger of this letter. And I would just put the community imperative today this way. You need to honor someone who served Christ well. Honor someone who served Christ well. So think about today, someone that you see in your small group, someone that you know in the ministry that you've been involved in, maybe in another ministry, maybe a missionary on the mission field, and say, I'm going to honor them. Come up with a creative way to honor that person and then do it. Make sure that you express the kind of uh, respect and recognition that they deserve. I uh, think about that Old Testament passage in both Chronicles and Samuel that talked about David's mighty men, if you think back to our reading there, and how they're honored. And even in the New Testament, there are certain people that uh, say they're worthy of double honor. At the end of uh, 1 Corinthians, we're told to find these people that do these kinds of things and to honor them. Uh, Paul wrote to the Philippians to do the same. So Find people that have served the Lord well in some way that you've seen that either up close, personal as a recipient of their work, maybe a leader in your small group and honor them. Come up with a way creatively to do that. Maybe even share in the comments that person you want to honor today. That'd be great to hear who you're honoring, who served the Lord well, like those we read about in our Bible uh, here in Philippians chapter two. So thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe. We'll be back tomorrow as we continue our reading through the Bible.